Good morning. Welcome to Zion Lutheran Church on this 19th Sunday after Pentecost. Before we begin our worship, a few things to remind you of. Uh, first, a reminder that our Harvest Home celebration is next Sunday, the 5th, 15th. So uh, please plan to stay and eat with us and celebrate with us. And if you're able to bring in a dish to share with others as we, as we gather around and celebrate God's many blessings to us. Uh, with that in mind, also remember choir singers to stay after worship to practice for special music for next Sunday. Uh, also a reminder that our Augsburg Confession study will continue this Wednesday at 7. So even if you haven't joined us yet, you're still more than welcome to join us and jump in. And I think you will learn and be edified in our study and in our discussion. So feel free to, to join in on the study. Are there any prayer requests or any other announcements for the congregation this morning? Yeah, Jen. Um, you saw the insert in your uh, bulletin for Minister Appreciation Sunday, which is also next Sunday, Marcus Jones. So please uh, show your appreciation by putting a card in the box down on the lower non-effects. And also, we really need help decorating the church for Harvest Home on Saturday at 10 o'clock. So please come, bring whatever you have, pumpkins, boards, or just bring yourself and help us decorate. Thank you. Yeah, Mary. I just have a request for help. I need some guys to take that little short pew that's down there in the lower narthex to take that down to the basement. If any other wives want to volunteer their husbands, speak to Mary and we'll get it worked out. Anything else for the congregation? All right, if not, I'll invite you to take this time to prepare your hearts and minds for worship as we listen to the prelude.
congregation, I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his Son to die for us, and for his sake forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord 
For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. Beloved God, from you come all things that are good. Lead us by the inspiration of your Spirit to know those things that are right, and by your merciful guidance, help us to do them. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. A reading from Isaiah. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hooted out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. It shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. The word of the Lord. We will now read responsibly 
Psalm 80. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine upon us, and we shall be saved. We are God of mine, out of Egypt. You cast out the nations of the You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. You stretched out its tendrils to the sea and its branches to the river. The wild boar of the forest has ravaged it, and the beasts of the field have grazed upon it. Behold and tend this vine. Preserve what your right hand has planted. A reading from Philippians. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. According to St. Matthew, Jesus said to the people, Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, 
and they treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds, because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. I'd like you to be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Of course, Jesus begins by telling us to listen to this parable. And he then proceeds to tell us the parable that's often known as the parable of the wicked tenants. And so a reminder that whenever we come to Jesus' parables in the Gospels, we first should invite the Holy Spirit to open our ears to hear what Christ is saying. Because as we remember, Jesus has already told us that the effects of the parables will be to close ears. He says they will close the ears and harden the hearts of those who do not believe. And we'll see that this happens in this parable as well. The elders and the priests in the temple hear this parable and they understand it quite well. Because they understand that Jesus is saying something about them. The parable was not hard to understand for them but it serves its purpose by showing the true intentions of their hearts. And as we see at the end of our reading, they're furious with him. They want to arrest him immediately, but they know they won't get away with it in the light of day. And so the telling of this parable does indeed harden the hearts of those who are not interested in the gospel of Jesus. What the authorities who heard the parable know immediately is that they are the wicked tenants. Throughout the Old Testament, and these elders in the temple, they're Old Testament scholars, so they pick up on what Jesus is saying. But throughout the Old Testament, Israel is called a vineyard. The image is that God took a vine out of Egypt and planted it in a promised land to grow. He planted his word in this vineyard so that it would bear fruit for the whole world to see. And then there were tenants to tend to this growth. And this is straight from Isaiah 5, which was our first reading And Jesus now draws on that language. But to begin to understand that parable, we have to deal with the question of what the tenants were doing in the vineyard to begin with. Why do the tenants kill the servants? Why do they kill the son? And so on the most basic level, we see they want to keep the harvest for themselves. The reality is this isn't their vineyard. They did not plant the vines. They didn't do the work. Their job was to watch over things while the master was gone. But when the harvest comes, they don't want the master to have what is his. 
So they reject and kill his servants, and finally they decide that they will reject and kill the master's son in an effort to keep that which does not belong to them. But on another level, we have to think that these wicked tenants don't believe that judgment will ever come for them. They have to believe since the master is far away in another country on some other business, and that since they have the watchtower in the vineyard, that they're not really scared of the judgment because they'll see him coming and they'll know what to do. And so in their minds, they have worked out a scheme that will allow them to keep what does not belong to them. And now as we apply that to the elders to whom Jesus is speaking, we can see that the leaders of the people had come to see themselves as the salvation of Israel. These are the ones who controlled access to the temple, where through the purchase of sacrifices, the people were given assurance of their forgiveness of sins. These were the teachers and preachers of the law. They got to tell people how to be righteous, how to earn God's favor by being obedient to the law. They were the experts. They were the ones who got to decide who was in and who was out. And there was a great deal of power and pride in being the gatekeeper. And so when the son comes to gather the harvest by preaching the free forgiveness of sins through faith in him, they see that they can't actually save anyone. The identity they thought they had, the power they thought they had, the pride they thought they had are all shattered by the coming of Christ. Because Christ has come to bring salvation outside of the law. Christ has promised salvation through faith, not through behavior modification, not through the blood of goats and bulls, not through all the things humans can control by the law, but by faith in him alone. And so the elders refused to hand over the harvest. They refused to give up control over what they believe they control. The gospel message is a great threat to those who want so badly to place hope in something other than Christ. Hearts that are hardened by hearts that are hardened to God's word always reject the gospel message. Hearts that are hardened don't want to hear it. What the wicked tenants don't account for, which Christ will come to assert, is that the time of judgment does, in fact, come for them. The master does come. Jesus quotes Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. When Christ is crucified, the leaders of the people will stand in judgment. They've rejected the master's son, they've rejected Christ, and they've rejected God himself. But then we can turn the parables to ourselves as well. Because what we'll hear when we do so is that we, along with the leaders of the people, stand in judgment. Right? It was not just the leaders in the temple who would reject Christ on the cross. So we read in the Passion stories, the disciples rejected him as well. The whole world rejected him. At best, there were a few women loyal enough that they followed the cross and pitied Jesus. But for three hours on Good Friday, the whole world rejected Christ except for one thief who was given the gift of faith, who saw Christ on the cross for who he was, everyone else rejected him. And so you and I, along with the leaders of Israel, along with the whole world, stood guilty with everyone else before the cross. And our sinful nature does not look to Christ's suffering on the cross and say, there's the glory of God. There's no part of our sinful human nature that looks to the bloody, weak, silent Christ on the cross and wants to confess that there is the king 
over all creation. We want to be repulsed. We want to be embarrassed. And we're all guilty of rejecting Christ. Because like the wicked tenants, we want the glory for ourselves. We want the riches and the power that the world promises. We want the world to know that we are wonderful people who deserve acclaim. We want behavior modification. We want success. We want feeling good about ourselves. We want to save ourselves. We want to control our salvation. But we don't want the cross. St. Paul says the same things in Philippians. He lists out all the things he once put confidence in. His circumcision, his ancestry, his education, his religious zeal, his blameless pursuit of the law. Right? And we're no different than St. Paul in this regard. We're no different than the elders that Jesus condemned. In our sinfulness, all of us will seek to be confident in anything but Christ. Whether that's confidence in ourselves, our own abilities, confidence in what the world promises, we all seek after that which is not found in the cross. And now the cross, as Jesus tells us, the thing which we reject, it becomes our cornerstone. The cornerstone is the block which makes for an unshakable foundation. Right? The cornerstone orients everything else. When the cornerstone is properly set, everything else falls in line. But when the cornerstone fails, everything else will fail. The cornerstone joins all other pieces together in proper union. Here what Christ says is that him rejected, that Christ on the cross will become our cornerstone. He has become our cornerstone. He has become the thing that is our unshakable foundation. He has become the thing which unites us. But he's also become the cornerstone because he has universally condemned all of us in his rejection. All of us are guilty of the death of Christ. We all committed the sins which he bore on the cross. We are all guilty of wanting to find salvation in anything except God's word of promise. But in the same way, the cornerstone will unite us in the gospel. Because we are all condemned by our sin and by our rejection of the word, so also are we now all united in God's kingdom by the resurrected Christ who gives us his word of forgiveness. We sit here together this morning as part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church because we all share the same status together. We are sinners who have been forgiven by the risen Christ. This is how the stone we rejected has become our cornerstone. Christians come together not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. We stand or we sit here united this morning as sinners forgiven. We're not united by our morals, by our good works, by our ancestry, by anything, but by what Christ has done for us. But the interaction following the parable of the wicked tenants should remind us of a certain reality. Those who do not have the Holy Spirit to enlighten their hearts will oppose the gospel of Christ. Even those who sit in church pews, those who confess to believe in God, will often come to work against the gospel. And the preaching of the word always has this effect. The Holy Spirit uses the preaching of the gospel to call us, enlighten us with his gifts, to sanctify us, to keep us in true faith. But where the Holy Spirit is not present, the word hardens hearts. Hardened hearts hear the preaching of faith and reject it. 
rather than hold on to the promises given to us in Christ, they stand in condemnation under the law and they reject Christ and they put their trust in themselves. I think it's no coincidence that Psalm 80 is our psalm this morning. Psalm 80 in verse 13 says, the wild boar of the forest has ravaged the vineyard. Well, famously, when Martin Luther was excommunicated by the Pope, this was the, the verse used to describe him. The Pope and the Pope's theologians called Luther a wild boar who was ravaging the church. Right? These leaders in the church were opposing the preaching of the gospel. And so when Martin Luther picked up the gospel and brought his light to the darkness of the medieval church, there were many in power who were terrified. They knew the preaching of the gospel threatened everything. It threatened their control, it threatened their power, their reason to exist. The preaching of the gospel declared freedom in Christ. Not freedom in acts of penance, not freedom in the purchase of indulgences, not freedom in our own works of righteousness, but freedom in what Christ has done alone. And so many in power opposed Luther. And this just doesn't apply to Luther, this is universal. Wherever the gospel is preached, there will be sinners who oppose it. There will always be tenants who reject the son who has come to claim his harvest. And we should not be surprised by this. Instead, we should be all the more steadfast in placing our faith in Christ. The temptation will always be there to believe that we are the ones who save ourselves. We are the ones who will save our family, our friends, our communities, our country. We believe that we are little saviors. But when we believe that lie, that we are the owners of the harvest, that we are our own saviors, then we reject Christ. When we begin to believe that we know more than God's word to us, we reject Christ. When we refuse to put our trust in the master of the vineyard, we refuse the son. As Christians, we hold on to a different promise than the promises of the world. The world says you can save yourself. The world says you are deserving of heaven because you are a good, unique, delightful person. But that's not the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is that Christ is the savior of sinners. Therefore, sinner, live your life knowing that he is your cornerstone. His word is for you. You are forgiven by faith in him. He has come for you. He has come to die for you. He has come to bring you forever into God's kingdom. So don't refuse him when his word of promise is preached to you. Instead, put your trust into it. Let his word be your comfort. When the son comes to you with his word of promise of forgiveness, put everything else aside and put your trust into it. The son has come for you. Don't reject him. The son has come for you with forgiveness, with the word of promise and with life everlasting. Amen.
together, let us stand and confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was received by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. O Lord, you have planted, nurtured, and hedged around your vineyard, the church. You sent your dear son to give his life for her. Inspire her by your Holy Spirit to yield much fruit for your kingdom, and grant that many find shelter on her holy hill. Lord, in your mercy. Merciful Father, since your son has made us his own by his death, grant that we may share in his sufferings with confidence, and that we may also know the power of his resurrection. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, grant all children in need of adoption or foster care a safe place in which to grow and thrive. Bring into their lives generous couples who will open their hearts to give them safe and loving homes in which to grow in the knowledge of you. Lord, in your mercy. Shine your light upon us, O Lord, that we may do what is good and right and live as faithful citizens in this nation. Bless Joseph, our president, Richard Michael, our governor, and all of those elected and appointed to make and minister and judge our laws. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious Father, you are the vine dresser of the church. You prune those whom you love. And so strengthen our hearts to heed your law, that we may never presume to sin nor trust in our own righteousness, but look to the rainfall of your grace as our true source of life. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, you bring forth from this barren earth a holy people to press forward to your heavenly goal. Direct our zeal toward your good and gracious pur- purpose and prosper the work of the hands that labor in your name. Lord, in your mercy. A merciful Lord, you sing the song of your love over the vineyard of your church. Lift her united voice through your spirit that she in turn would freely praise your grace and proclaim your salvation beyond her walls. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you always.
us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Peace, serve the Lord. <laughs>